So I went, I'm not going to Columbia University. I'm going to Columbia Records. Billy Joel would get to Columbia Records, but not right away. First, he teamed up with this man, Artie Rip. Artie's a Los Angeles record producer who 10 years ago heard a demo tape and signed Billy Joel sight unseen to a long-term contract. I love Billy Joel. I want to have Billy Joel on my record label. We pick up the phone. This is Artie Rip. Oh, the guy at the other end of the phone, I said, where is Billy now? He says, Billy's sleeping on the floor of a laundromat in Long Island right now. I says, you're kidding. He says, Billy's broke, I'm broke, everybody's turned us down. We don't understand why nobody believes and appreciates Billy's genius. For seven years, we've been working on him coming from the group, the Hassles, and he was a star in that group, and so on. We don't understand. I said, I'm glad nobody else understood it. I'm glad you finally wound up at the bottom with me. We'll go to the top together. She's got a way about her. They did go to the top, Artie Rip and Billy Joel, but not together. This is Cold Spring Harbor, the first album Artie Rip produced for Billy Joel. You won't find it in most record stores. It was recorded at the wrong speed. Now, if you were a young songwriter getting into the music business and your producer made a mistake like that, you might do what Billy Joel did. I realized after a while, wow, I really signed away a lot of stuff and I was getting ripped off. So how was I going to get all the things back that I signed away? Well, I'm going to sit these people out. I'm going to disappear off the face of the earth. Hi, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And I'm Paul Lauren. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. From all about soul, way down to Zanzibar, it's still rock and roll, though we don't play no guitar. I'm Billy Joel A to Z. Good evening, all, and welcome to another Billy Joel A to Z album wrap up. It was months ago when we completed Billy Joel's final studio album wrap up, and today we have the exciting task of discussing Billy Joel's first album ever to wrap up. Yes, today we complete the legendary, for all the wrong reasons, Cold Spring Harbor wrap up. Recorded over 50 years ago in July of 1971 and released on November 1st, 1971, Cold Spring Harbor was the ill-fated album of Billy Joel's first producer, the evil Artie Rip. Anyone who listens to this show in the sense of being a Billy Joel fan certainly knows the story of Cold Spring Harbor. The sinister Artie Rip and his awful family productions (laughs) mastered the album at the wrong speed. In fact, one half of a semitone higher, making Billy Joel's young, sweet voice sound like Alvin and the Chipmunks. We've been told that Billy Joel had a big listening party with his friends, and when someone asked why he sounded like a girl, he ripped it off his turntable, ran outside the house, and threw it like a Frisbee because he was so upset and disappointed, and how could he not be? After being incredibly diligent about working his way to the top, playing in different bands, touring dingy places, he finally got a record deal, a 10-record contract that stripped Billy Joel of all the rights to the original tapes and publishing rights to all current and future songs. 
I find your lack of faith disturbing. It is said that George Lucas based his Darth Vader character on Artie Rip. <laughs> it is said? Out. Yes, it is said. Sources. <laughs> After Billy Joel was Billy Joel, Artie Rip struck again and remixed the album in 1983. He adjusted the pitch and Billy's vocal tone and brought in some studio musicians to overdub new rhythm sections in some songs and cut out bass, drums, and orchestration in others, and all without Billy Joel's involvement, permissions, or consent. Because Artie Rip knew how to produce an album. I guess we should be lucky that he sometimes plays Everybody Loves You Now or She's Got Away in Concert to this day because the entire album clearly leaves a bad taste in his mouth. That all being said, of course, it's a true shame. There's some truly beautiful songs on this album, which is quite the miracle for an album that was supposed to be a bunch of demos showcasing his songs so others could record them. He did play six of these songs on the legendary WMMR Sigma Sound Studios mini concert on April 5th, 1972. So he must have still had faith in the album, even if he didn't have faith in the record companies or management. It is interesting to point out, however, when you think about it, it is because of one producer that almost destroyed Billy Joel's entire career and another producer that made him a music legend. Anyway, we have so much to talk about today, let alone the fact that Dave Juskow had never heard nine out of the ten songs before doing this podcast. That said, it's time to get down to business. Let's take a listen to all ten songs we will be discussing today on Billy Joel A to Z's Cold Spring Harbor album wrap-up. got a way about her I don't know what it is but I know that I can't live without her she's got a way of pleasing I don't know what it is but there doesn't have to be a reason anyway you can make me free you can make me smile You can make me be Like a little child You can melt the ice that chills my body You can dry my every tear You can make the lonely hours disappear Maybe all the lights are turned on you Now you're in the center of the stage Revolves on what you do Ah, you are in your prime You've come of age And you can always have your way Somehow Cause everybody loves you now Oh, what a scene It's wrong for her to hang me up this way Oh, where you been Cause it's so hard to make it through the day Green lived a girl who put her hair in braids And she sang as she walked all about the wooded blades She was glad when the rain came falling on her face And she sang cause she did not mind the falling of the rain Cause she didn't mind the falling of the rain 
Introduce to you the co-host of the Billy Joel A to Z podcast, comedian Alan Altman. Hey Dave, great to be here. I think that's really cool that this album is so short that for that medley, you just played the entire album straight through. <laughs> I didn't notice a single edit. It was just 29 and a half minutes of music. That's the whole episode. We'll see you guys next time for part two. <laughs> now it's really exciting to, to be doing this one because I remember, like you said, Dave, that you did not know any of this music when we were first starting this podcast. I kept being so surprised by that. And then it took us all the way till the ease before we even got to a song from this album. So we were already months into the whole process before we got to Everybody Loves You Now. And I remember how excited you were or how excited I was to hear your reaction to that song finally, because I was so high on the song. And then the fact that you liked it, it was really awesome. And then that each song we've done since then, you've really liked a lot of them. It's been really cool to see. Yeah. Now, as always, we're so honored to have him and had so much fun with him on our Letter X show. Please welcome our musician extraordinaire and Billy Joel true aficionado, unlike myself, Paul Lauren, everybody. So good to be back with you. How are you guys? We are great. And what Alan was saying before is so true. It's so weird, Paul. I'm of course, I'm embarrassed, but not that embarrassed. When going into this podcast, I knew I didn't know these things, and I was excited to learn them. And for me, I, I get to hear new Billy Joel music. I really never heard any of these songs, especially the last one we just did. Absolutely never. And I never heard Everybody Loves You Now, if you can even believe it, because I hadn't been to the, the residency. The yeah, the concerts. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, he had never played that in any of the concerts I had been to. Maybe he did. I didn't recognize the song. Maybe I didn't know it was Billy Joel. Maybe I thought he was doing a cover. But it is a really fun getting to know this album so today i listened to the album as a whole and it is funny you know i love to listen to the full album before we do this show and really get a good feel for it 
And, you know, the, obviously when we talk about the nylon curtain, that like, I was like, wow, this is really a great experience. This was, this was great in a different way. The album has, it's like Alon said, it is so fast and furious that the song ends and you're just coming up and it doesn't flow. Uh, I still enjoyed the album, but it is not a good album to listen to as a whole because it is just so short and so in your face. And the songs, as I guess we can talk about at some point, the way they're organized just don't really flow. Uh, Paul, Alon and I were the last one we did was You Look So Good To Me, which is like happy and peppy and bursting with love. And then the next song is Tomorrow's Today. Well, we should just kill ourselves. So it's a very strange mix of songs but i don't know paul what is your feeling about this album as a when you first started with an innocent man going towards the back catalog when you discovered cold spring harbor i suppose we all had the 83 remix at that point not really understanding the backstory what did you think of this album was it like people were like this sucks i don't want to go back this far or did you get it right away like like i just did finally I, I got it pretty immediately because bef- I don't know if you guys have this experience, Dave, you must have, but because Dave, you've come to everything 45 years after it was recorded, which I think is beautiful. It's like, there's an innocence to that. You're an innocent man. Um, but I, I, I got it immediately because even though I, I was a young kid, when I heard this for the first time, 12, 13, I had heard Carol King and James Taylor and early solo McCartney and some of that early 70s singer-songwriter stuff. So I had like a context for what he was going for. Even in my pre-adolescent brain, I got it. And I, I love it. I really love it. I guess that makes sense, you being a singer-songwriter. And of course, as we also know about this album, he, he absolutely intended, for some who knows what reason, to make demos, to sell these songs to other people to sing. And then, as it turns out, just as you're saying, uh, Carol King, who are the other people you might have mentioned? Oh, yeah, James Taylor, Jackson James, Brown. Yeah. Right, right. That the era of the singer-songwriter was coming around. He, he just kind of hit the right time. Uh, I guess we got lucky, because who knows what would have happened if he had just gone that direction and become a Desmond Child or something like that. Yeah, that was the time where the singer-songwriter, it's kind of right, because I think a lot of people don't remember what our parents' music were. Like Frank Sinatra didn't write his own songs, and yet he was the biggest star on the planet. And, and neither did Elvis. Him. For by, by the, by the Exactly. Same Elvis, <laughs> exa- right. So Everyone. those were the times in the 50s and the 40s, Bing Crosby. None of those people that were the most uber of famous that you could possibly be wrote any of their own stuff Mm. i don't know where it began maybe dylan something like that and the beatles dylan yeah it was the it was a mix of things it was the folk movement but but everyone was covering other classic folk songs of course right if you think of joan baez she didn't really start writing until the late 60s so dylan was writing originals on his second record i think that's when it begins and the beatles are writing for themselves so then you put these two things together it's singer songwriter plus rock and roll and everyone now wants to get in the publishing game the the every every musician is like well the beatles do it and dylan does it why can't i do it and make more money that way so it's just so go. weird i wonder who yeah i mean it seems you know when sinatra was around i mean you'd get these songs and 
like 10 people would cover the same song. <laughs> there just weren't that many songs. It's odd that no one had thought of the idea previous to that. It's a little weird, but I suppose the Beatles are such a fascinating group and they obviously will be fascinating forever. And they changed so much of music. Uh, I guess maybe it's because the just the instrumentation wasn't around. Certainly the technology wasn't around and that had to have helped stuff too. You had some, uh, you know, on the borders, on the fringes, maybe not even the fringes. They were in the mainstream. You had the Johnny Cashes of the world. Uh, you had, of course, if you think about black music, I mean, Little Richard, right? I mean, yeah, you have people that are writing and singing for themselves. Even as you said, the in Sinatra's milieu, you have the Hoagie Carmichael's uh, who are singing um, for themselves. Um, so you do have kind of people that do both but it's not the norm really it's not right and and i don't think the people didn't have the knowledge that they have today or the resources to know if this person wrote the song or not a lot of people just assume frank sinatra wrote all those songs i I don't think people cared that much back then right they didn't care you have to look at the 45 and want to read like the names in brackets to care who wrote the song you really you didn't give a shit right you just cared that it was a frank sinatra single yeah yeah, well, Sinatra honored the songwriters. I mean, if you listen, he really to- did. He was really good. Now, listen, I want Sammy Khan writing these songs. Or there else. you go. You know it. And he introduced all those writers in concert before every song. He would say, "This is an Irving Berlin tune or a Cole Porter song, whatever." He yeah, paid. He a was lot. terrific about that. He was. He as a much of a horrible reputation that he has. He was absolutely good about that. That's for sure. And he apparently, uh, I think, paid people pretty well to to keep their mouth shut yeah <laughs> it's weird he couldn't he couldn't write a word but his son turned into a writer so oh really well yeah ronan farrow oh <laughs> he's an amazing writer <laughs> well you nice. got me on that one yeah me too i was like frank jr no way <laughs> well we'll leave that so uh, paul what as we always like to do uh would you start us off with something i can't tell you i am very excited to see what you choose today this is a weird one uh, this one and the next one and Piano Man, I'd be uh, very curious to see what you have going on for us today. And I'm very excited as I have been very much enjoying this album. Yeah, we were talking last episode how so many of these songs Billy has just never played at all himself. So really, no one's ever heard another version of these songs besides the one that's on the album. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what? Also, Paul, before you start, I just I will say I think and one of the reviewers, I think, had said it that you know, he didn't play a lot of these because he hated this album. He hated Artie and he hated the whole experience. But now I, I think if this article that I read in 2015, he was saying that's why he won't play it anymore. I think starting around 2015, 2016, that's when he bought out Everybody Loves You Now and stuff and kind of said, you know what? I'm going to go for it. So Alan and I are really hoping we have tickets for the July residency and we're hoping there's going to be a uh, uh, the deepest of all cuts off the first album, and not everybody says I. Everybody loves you now. So I <laughs> everybody yeah. says I love you now. Mashup, mashup. Yeah, he's going to start that. You know, he's going to start the show you go to with Nocturne and end with December songs. <laughs> Come on, well, please. obviously. <laughs> okay, well, I'll pick one of the more well-known songs, and then I'll, as the episode progresses, the cuts will get deeper and deeper, maybe. But I'll awesome. pick. Uh, so I'll pick. You'll hear it. Here's the here's the Dylan the Dylan thing.
Baby, all the lights are turned on you And now you're in the center of the stage Everything revolves on what you do Oh, you're in your prime, you've come of age And you can always have your way somehow But everybody loves you now You can walk away from your mistakes You can turn your back on what you do Just a little smile is all it takes Yeah, you can have your cake and eat it too Loneliness will get to you somehow But everybody loves you now Ah, they all want your white body And they await your reply Ah, but between you and me And the Staten Island Ferry So do I All the people want to know your name mm, Soon there will be lines outside your door Feelings do not matter in your game Yeah, cause nothing's gonna touch you anymore So your life is only living anyhow And everybody loves you now Close your eyes when you don't want to see Stay at home when you don't want to go Only speak to those who will agree Yeah, and close your mind when you don't want to know You've lost your innocence somehow But everybody loves you now gather round mm, isn't it a thrill to see them crawl keep your eyes ahead and don't look down yeah lock yourself inside your sacred wall oh this is what you wanted ain't you proud cause everybody Everybody loves you now. That's terrific. What a great way to start off the show. Woo! That is one rocking song that's super fun. As Billy course, says, the song about a real bitch. <laughs> and the Staten Island Ferry. <laughs> <laughs> For good measure. I wonder if he's ever actually been on the Staten Island Ferry. I think. Oh, he, absolutely. I think so. Yeah. For We're sure. talking about a boat. He's on every type of boat. He would never <laughs> yeah. give up a chance to be on a boat. I, don't know, I thought maybe that, you know, because he can't run it himself. Maybe he was never on it. Wasn't there a music video with him on the... No, it wasn't him. It no, was I think it's uh, from that movie or from that TV show, Smash. Smash? I think so, right? 
I'm thinking of Carly Simon on the what, what's the oh one? that's uh let the river run yeah, that's, the that's yeah. a working girl she's, working girl she's on the ferry she's singing yes. on the ferry yeah yes there they combine the movie and Carly let, Simon let the river run let all the dreamers take the nation come that's a weird one. What did they mean by that? That's a weird song. Yeah, it's a weird one. It was a, a hit, and it fit the movie really well for some reason, which doesn't make any sense. Hmm. I love that movie. I've seen it a hundred times. Harrison Ford, Melanie Griffith. That's probably why I was watching it. Great. Watching him get undressed in front of those ladies. I mean, I was watching it for <laughs> Melanie Griffith because she's <laughs> Anyway, uh, I have one. You know, there's no uh, album was not reviewed obviously because nobody knew who he was or anything so there was no review for it um but i have a you know a later review from uh steve irwin from allmusic.com it's kind of an interesting one a few short months after abandoning the heavy organ and drums duo attila partially because their soul record flopped partially because he stole the drummer's wife billy joel reinvented himself as a sensitive singer songwriter he had shown signs of McCartney-esque songcraft on Hour of the Wolf, the last Hassles album, but his debut album, Cold Spring Harbor, is where these talents blossom. The record was uneven, but very charming. That's perfect. Boasting two of his finest songs, The Lovely She's Got Away, and the bitterly cynical Everybody Loves You Now, and a score of flawed but nicely crafted songs that illustrated Joel's gift for melody as well as his pretensions, the Mock Gospel in Tomorrow's Today, a classical stab entitled Nocturne. In its own way, Cold Spring Harbor was a minor gem of the sensitive singer-songwriter error. Oh, this is what I was talking about. Joel may have been in his formative stages as a craftsman, but his talents are apparent, and he never made an album as intimate and vulnerable ever again. Then this guy talks about the reissue. He was like, this is a mess, and this guy just ticked him over. And then he says, it may be a bastardization of the original release, but it's an acceptable one since these changes only accentuate the intimacy and vulnerability of the recording. Hmm. But yeah, he was, that's why he was saying that's maybe why Billy Joel never wants to play it. That's the review I'd been reading, but there was no reason to reiterate. Now, oh. Rolling Stone, your favorite place, uh, Paul, has. They have a really interesting list of 20 terrible debut albums by great artists. <laughs> well, and, now that they kicked out Jan, uh, Jan Hammer, I, I I like it again. Oh, yes. Not, they no, did. Jan, not, not Jan Hammer. Who is he? Jan Winner. Jan, Jan Winner, right. Jan, Jan Hammer did the uh, Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack, right? Or, <laughs> no, that's, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I know All what right. you're talking about. Jan you know. Hammer is that Norwegian porn star. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh, anyway, they, the hammer? <laughs> Billy Joel is on this list of terrible debut albums by Greta. When he returned to the road, he played virtually no songs from Cold Spring Harbor, a decision that persists to this day. That was in 2015. That was changed. Meanwhile, they list David Bowie's self-titled album in 67, George Harrison's Wonderwall music in 68, which I think was all sitar music right i Isn't wouldn't that call right? that a solo debut but whatever six elton john's 1969's empty sky 75 yeah. journey in 1975 their self-titled first album 1976 is johnny cougar 
That's what he was called back then. Chestnut Street Incident. <laughs> That's you deserve a shitty album just by naming it that. It was so bad he had to change his name. That's right. He changed it like three times. Uh 1978's Prince first album for you. And 1982, Janet Jackson, self-titled Janet Jackson. The horrible debut albums for people that went on to unbelievable stratosphere stuff. Mm. I like that kind of stuff. You know, I like that. find that very entertaining. Meanwhile, I mean, I don't know a lot of those other albums, but this one, again, in re-listening, is not bad at all. I don't hold this one against Billy. I think if he had better production, it was such a cut rate kind of operation that he was recording this under. It was like going to the mall and going into one of those mall recording studios and laying down your tracks. <laughs> with like a drum machine or something. It was so crappy. If he had a real production behind him, these songs would really shine. And yep. I think people would have a better idea of what this was. Yep. That's a good point. That guy, Robert Christigau, how do we pronounce that? Yep. Yeah. From Chris the village Gow. voice. He didn't even rate it. <laughs> he didn't even bother rating cold spring Harbor. He rate, rated every single one of Billy Joel's albums. I guess he felt that this didn't even need to have a rating. Well, let me let me ask you guys a couple questions here. First question is: Was the Steve Irwin review that you read, Dave? Was that like concurrent with the when it came out? No, that, no, okay. that is a That's much later inside. review. Right. There is nothing about it when nothing. it came out because right, right. it just did it didn't go anywhere. It wasn't on anybody's radar. You know, yeah. you couldn't review it because it it did so poorly. Remember, as we'll talk about next time, or in two two albums, the Piano Man. You know, some guy. Remember, he, he found a copy at the store and, and called somebody up like, can we get some more copies? And they, they were like, no. So nobody knew who Billy Joel was. So there was no, yeah. how do you review an album that uh, the people must have been putting out albums that we never heard of before? And, you know, they, there was no company behind him. He didn't have Columbia to say, hey, you got to review this album. Artie Rip was obviously a really shitty manager and didn't put the like any probably kind of press release out or anything and obviously yeah, yeah. even if there was billy joel wouldn't have wanted it after mm -hmm. hearing the chipmunk version and and probably already rip was so embarrassed i hope i hope he was i mean how do you mess that up yeah well family productions man you know but how are you not <laughs> hearing it when it's happening i I don't I mean, think there was any QC. I don't think there was any quality control. I, I, you know, he was just, he's a slimy, he was a slimy guy and he was in it for one reason, one reason only. Right. So well, it's kind of, it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of funny because he obviously saw the talent in this guy and said, I'm going to yeah. lock him up. And yet everything after that was just a douchebag move. I mean, we owe Rip. We owe Artie Rip in a way, right? In some ways. No, I mean, no. You don't because think somebody so? else, if he had waited, somebody else was going to find this guy. He was playing all these places. I mean, just even in the piano bar and Piano Man. There would be no like, piano. Man, what are you doing Artie here? Rip. Sooner or later, no especially if he's in California, somebody was going to come up and offer him something. I don't think he would have gone to California. I don't think he would have played at the at the Moonlight Lounge or whatever. Well, I mean, if he was in New York City and playing like the way Alon plays comedy shows, 
I mean, sooner or later, this guy was going to get discovered. It's just well, it ha- talent- hasn't happened for me yet. So I don't know. I mean, hey, no, of course, look at that. I mean, you're hard. <laughs> Billy Joel but... of comedy here, still undiscovered. <laughs> but I'm just saying, if Billy Joel was sitting there yeah. playing the, the Bitter End and all those kind of places and the, the Cafe Wa, sooner or later, one of those guys that owned the club was going to manage him. It would have worked out either way. There's no way something would have worked out for him. Something would have worked out, but we would, the story would be different. There probably would be no Piano Man song. There probably would be, you probably wouldn't have some of those early records. That just would have been different. I mean, the guy was prolific. So we just would have gotten something. I mean, you're right, but you may be right, but maybe he just would have gone right on to the stranger from that, you know? So we would, we we would have missed two albums and three albums in between, but Hmm. Well, I, I don't know. My- I mean, it's like imagine that he had a, a a manager or a producer who was pretty good that made him feel pretty happy, and maybe they just always kept putting out like mid level kind of stuff. He would have been That's complacent, perhaps, and just never kind of reached for the sky. Whereas Rip was so bad that he had to push so hard in the other direction to fight against him, and he wound up in a good situation. I disagree. Yeah. Oh, you really? Okay. I, I name, think it would have happened. Your favorite Billy Joel song? Name your f- released released. My favorite. Yes. I don't, I don't know. know. Actually. Sleeping with the television on? Oh. <laughs> Is it? Well, wow, that's great. I don't know. I thought because that girl Avery said that that time, and then I've been thinking about it. That's a great song. <laughs> okay. Well, this 19 year old girl said it once, and I'm like, yeah, no, that's not bad. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, part of what makes that song amazing, what makes Billy Joel amazing, is this rock and roll spirit of. He is not complacent. There, there is kind of a punk thing to him, and I think his best material, the big shots and all the songs that have that bit of attitude and edge. He's talking to someone, whether he hates his wife in that moment, or he hates Artie Rip, or Frank Weber, or who, or the record label, whoever. Joel needs an enemy. Joel needs someone to be pissed at, and maybe why this album is so vulnerable and doesn't have that edge. Is, his, is because he wasn't yet wounded in that way by the industry. So yeah. that's what I'm saying. We got to thank Artie Rip for giving him that that initial wound. Okay. Right. At this point, he was not <laughs> wounded. He was just well, sad. Yeah, he but his wife was going to wound him eventually anyway. So I, I still think either way mm, it would have worked out. You know, we have a sliding door situation here. What would have happened if he had True. never met Someone would have hurt him. Yeah, someone would Somebody hurt. was going to hurt him because he's that kind of guy. He loves it. <laughs> he thinks he doesn't love it, but he loves it. And that well, Elizabeth Weber is going to do a number on him either way. <laughs> do yeah. you want to play another song and then we'll do the rankings? Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. Great, because we'd love yeah. you to. God, it's a, such a great McCartney type thing, isn't it? You know it. You can make me free You can make me smile You can make me be Like a little child You can melt the ice that chills my body You can dry my every tear You can make the lonely hours disappear You can make me free You can make me rise You can make me see 
So open up my eyes, don't you know my only real moments Are the ones I spend with you How I long to drink some wine again with you I can take to the sky, I can soar like a bird When it's half full of song, yeah, yeah Won't you fill up my eyes, I've been waiting so long You can make me free You can make me cry You can make it so much better If you would only try If I must wait a lonely lifetime Until I am with you, my love I will wait, but you'll be what I'm dreaming of There was like an extended outro on this, right? That didn't make the 83 cut I love that song. That's a great one. Yeah, that was amazing. Is that is that the one, Alon, that they cut out like three minutes? <laughs> yeah, a very long outro that just keeps going and going. Very, very Layla-esque. Mm, turns out Artie Rip was right about that one. You know... No, but uh, well, it's funny because, like, you know, he remastered in 1983 to to fix some of the speed issues, but then the remaster is still four minutes shorter overall because he cut so much other stuff out of this out of each of these songs. What, what a complete asshole! That guy should never be. Ugh. Reminds me of that. I don't know the beginning of All About Eve. <laughs> it's it's all strange. about Eve. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reference on that guy who's narrating the thing just says, "And this is a woman who never should have been in the theater to begin with." <laughs> you know something never should have had anything to do with the theater i have the stat the original length on the original lp was five minutes and 49 seconds and the 1983 length was two minutes and 59 seconds yeah he cut out about three minutes jeez crazy he's like nah it's all filler trust me Just, sir do you really think we should be cutting i mean he's kind of a legendary musician all right this is remember this is after his four albums that went sick Right, 83, he's already up to an innocent man. <laughs> and they're like, I don't know. You really think you should be questioning what Billy Joel wanted? He's like, yeah, yeah, no, I knew his stuff way before he even knew. Well, what unless an Artie thought that this song was so good that maybe it could be picked up as a single, and so he wanted it to be a three-minute song. Well, there is something to say about that, I suppose. Hmm. All right, let's go to the ranking. Well, that about does it for part one of the Cold Spring Harbor album wrap-up. Join us next week for the conclusion of Cold Spring Harbor, the greatest album ever recorded. Coming up. I will start. We'll go backwards, of course, from 10 to 1. I will start with number 10, and number 10 for Cold Spring Harbor is Turnaround. I found this really hard to rank, actually. Alon and I are very similar. Happy happy 40th, Alon. Don't tell people that. We have a lot of young listeners. They want to think that I'm cool. I'm afraid to go to sleep Cause tomorrow is today We're moving on to my number one, which of course is so good to See you next week! I sure hope so!
Your name. 